Welcome to Family of Grace. We're so glad you came to worship with us this morning. My story with Family of Grace started with just one visit from Pastor Brad. He felt the Lord calling him to start a multicultural, multi-ethnic community church. He asked us to come alongside in his church strengtheners. We were in a church where we had worshiped for 25 years and it was hard to leave our comfort zone, but we felt God calling us to come alongside him and be a part of Family of Grace. Please open your Bibles to Leviticus 16, where we learn about two goats. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a sermon dealing with being made in the very image of God, being made in his image, and what it is that God is up to in our lives. What's most interesting about that is, that would you want any more than to be made in the image of God? And the world looks at people who's made in the very image of God and then it tells them, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not small enough, you're not tall enough, you're not broad enough. You don't have enough hair. You have too much hair. Your hair's too big. Your hair's too small. Your skin's too fair. Your skin's too dark. Are you, are you with me here? So where are we living? And we become so depressed because we're trying to live up to something God never established for us. God created us in His image. If you know anything at all about the book of Genesis, you didn't go very far, you realize they messed things up. They sinned. What did they do? They disobeyed God. They wanted to be like God. The devil didn't lie. Even though he is the chief of liars, he said, when you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he didn't want you to eat of that tree. And when they ate of that fruit, their eyes were open, and they knew the difference between good and evil. And I love, I love what God asked Adam, not the wife. He asked, he said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Before this, you had no difference. You had no, you were, you were safe. You were secure. And, and then that there was this perfect. Now, I, I do believe we were still in the image of God, but we were not only in the, I believe, in the physical image, but we were in the spiritual image of God. And that spiritual image was broken in the Garden of Eden, and then they had to begin the restoration process. A big trend today is online dating. And they make this whole fake profile. You know, they boy, you can make yourself sound good, look good on online. But eventually, you get to the point where you have to meet them face to face. And then it comes down to reality. In this season of Thanksgiving, what must we be thankful for? Not only must we be thankful that we were created in the very image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. But we should be most thankful for two old goats. Two young goats. Say, preacher, what's that got to do with anything? A lot. Turn with me to that book that really train wrecks your plan to read through the Bible in 365 days. That famous book of Leviticus. I mean, you, you're with me here. I mean, boy, you're doing good. You're rocking through Genesis. That dude reads like a novel. And then the next novel comes out in the book of Exodus. And then, boy, you're fired up. All the stuff that happened. And then all of a sudden, you have a head-on collision with the law in the book of Leviticus. If you've ever read the Bible through a year, you knew that was tough reading. 
We know the book of Leviticus was written as a way to make man right with God in the Old Testament. To not, not, not completely bring about atonement, but to bring about a temporary solution to an eternal problem. And we know that in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, if you study the Bible much, the book of Hebrews is the book of Leviticus fulfilled in the New Testament. Everything that was required in the book of Leviticus, Jesus came and did himself in the book of Hebrews. Now, the interesting thing about this is about most people haven't heard of this story because it's halfway through the book of Leviticus and they really don't get that far before you pull the rip card and bail out on the book of Leviticus. But if you would go with me to Leviticus chapter 16, I want you to understand something very interesting. Aaron and his sons, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make a couple of points and we're just going to walk through the scriptures because it's almost over the whole chapter of chapter 16. So let's just for the sake of time, we'll just kind of go through it together. Now verses 1 through 4 could be summarized this way uh, in, in chapter 16 of Leviticus. The previous chapter, Aaron and his sons wanted to have a new way. God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer this altar, this sacrifice, the fire. And his sons came together and you know what? I mean, I mean, this is this is old stuff right here. I mean, it's old fire. We, we, we need some new fire. We need to do this thing a new way. We need cool fire. And so in the way of bringing about cool fire, they abandoned the old fire. And I, I just, let me just tell you, they ticked God off. Because God wasn't interested in cool fire. He was interested in his fire. Now, the Bible says that God, I, I love this, God, 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 God is a consuming fire, the Bible says. God doesn't need matches. He's fire all by himself. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is that they wanted to deviate from the standard. What happened was that in the midst of their religion, secularism, humanism, and all that came in, and it began to train wreck their thinking. It began to train wreck the pathway that God had for them. I want you to realize something today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that the world will slip in and the world will train wreck your spiritual journey, your spiritual heritage, and everything that God has for you. You don't need a new way. You need God's way. The interesting dynamic here is that man comes and and uh, he begins to walk with God. And it's amazing that we take God at his word for salvation, but then we want to argue with him about everything else. Man is enlightened. Once again, I'm not picking on the Catholic religion, but the Pope is now making a lot of radical changes to a faith that had been set in stone for a long time. This isn't the first time that happened. I mean, when the Catholic Church split and broke off the Church of Rome way back in the day, it was because a man wanted a new way. A man wanted a new pathway. You see, religion is all about new pathway. Religion is all about new revelation. Religion is about what's trending. Can I just tell you today that God may be trending, but Jesus isn't. You see, people will talk about God in a generic sense. They will pray to God in a generic sense. You can go to a football game. You can get on a public speaker and pray to God and it's okay. But in the name of Jesus, when you draw the line in the sand, it gets a little interesting. Matter of fact, just this week, the National Cathedral, the Muslims held their prayer service there for the first time in the National Cathedral. But you know what was most interesting about that at the National Cathedral was not that the Muslims held their prayer 
in the National Cathedral because that's the world we live in. We're so lukewarm and apathetic in our country that the only standard we have is no standard. And what's interesting about that is not that they had the prayer in the National Cathedral, but was what they did when they got in the National Cathedral. Of course, we know they always had to pray to the east, but they strategically placed it so that they would not have to look upon the cross. They would not have to look upon a cross. They would not have to look upon a statue of Jesus. That their eyes would be fixed upon something else. Why? Because Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is life. And if you don't have life, you don't want to look upon the very thing that condemns the very thing you don't have. It's kind of like Brandon said last week in his sermon. I'm telling you, he said, you know, man, Allah doesn't indwell us. Buddha doesn't inhabit us, but Jesus does. The Holy Spirit does. Now, the interesting thing, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is this. That Aaron and them wanted to do something new. They wanted to do something cool. Let's lower. Let, let's do this our own way. And so we know they made God mad in verses 1 through 4 and God said, okay, Aaron, here's what we need to do. We need to make atonement for your family, first of all. You need to take a bull and you need to sacrifice that bull. You need to make atonement for yourself. You need to make atonement for your household. And then here's what I want you to do. If you can go with me to, to verse 5. He says, I want you to go and select two goats. Two goats from amongst the people. And bring those goats here. Bring those goats to where we are. And man, he connects the dots here very clearly. He says uh, in, in, verse, in verse 5, he says, Go to the Israelite, get two male goats as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron will present the bull for his sin and offering and make atonement for himself and his whole household. Next, he will take the two goats, place them before the Lord. And at the entrance of the tent of meeting, Aaron will cast lots for the two goats. One lot for God and one lot for the people. And then all of a sudden he will take, it says in verse 9, he is to present the goat chosen by the lot for the Lord as a sacrifice, as a sin offering. But the goat chosen for the people is to be presented alive. And the Lord will make purification with it by sending it into the wilderness. Now let's stop right there. The interesting thing here that connects the dots so great for us is that we see in this passage of Scripture, the problem. And then we see the process. But we see the affliction. We also see the affliction. What was the affliction? The affliction for man. What must we be thankful for this season? I said two old goats. Two young goats. <clears throat> I'm not talking about the person that lives next door to you. Because God said, Aaron, you go and you select two goats and you bring them to me. And one goat is going to be the goat of affliction, and the other one will be the goat of atonement. Now, for several passages of Scripture here, I'm not going to read through all of them. You can go home and do that. But he lays out exactly what is supposed to happen on the goat of the sacrifice. His goat. God's goat and man's goat. You with me? God drew, he brought them together. He said, let's cast lots. They drew straws. The goat that became God's goat, he got the sharp straw. Because that goat received affliction. That goat received torment. That goat received agony. That goat received death. <clears throat> the blood of that goat was shed. That the other goat might go 
free. God had a goat. That was a goat of affliction. That goat had to be tormented. That goat had to be placed in agony. That goat had to be in a situation that was overwhelming. That goat had to be put on public display. The life had to be sucked out of that goat so that something might pay the price. Pay the price. Pay the price. Then we can read a little bit further here. and We'll come back and tie it all in together. Go with me, if you would, to verse 15. When he slaughters the male goats for the people's sin, offering and brings its blood inside the veil. Circle that in your Bible right there, if you will, for me. When he brings that blood inside the veil, he must do the same with its blood as he did the blood of the bull. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat in front of it. He will purify it in the most holy place. Now, verse 17 says, At this time, no one will be able to enter the tent of the meeting. Skip with me, if you would, to verse 18. Then he will go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood, put it on the horn and on the sides of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and set it apart for the Israelites. Now when he has finished purifying this in the most holy place, in the tent of meeting, and the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Verse 21, stay with me. Aaron will lay both of his hands on the head of that live goat and confess over it. The Israelites' wrongdoing and rebellious acts and all the sins, he is to put them on the goat's head and send it away. And into the wilderness by a man appointed for that task. Then he will carry, then he will carry all their wrongdoings into a desolate land, and he will be released there. And then Aaron is to enter the tent of the meeting, take off his linen garments and all that stuff, and it goes into great detail and specificity of how you finish everything up. Now picture this with me in your mind. It's a beautiful day. And Aaron shows up, he tells somebody, I need your goat. And he draws that goat out and brings it to the tent of meeting. Goes to somebody else, another family, says, I, I need your goat. And they bring that out and they cast lots on those two goats. One goat has to give his life, the other one receives life. What's fair about that? What's fair about that in our Humanistic thinking. Nothing is. He drew the sharp straw. But what's fair about it was, in our thinking of humanism, there was nothing fair about it, but in God's way, it was everything fair about it because there had to be atonement that would be made. The atonement had to be made for the sins of the people. Now, understand something here very clearly. That what Christ was doing was painting a picture in the Old Testament of what would have to happen in the New Testament. It was a typology with these goats of what Jesus Christ would fulfill. Now, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I come to fulfill the law. I come to fulfill every ordinance of the law. And so in the Old Testament, we see a bull and we see two goats, but in the New Testament, Jesus Christ became the high priest and the lamb that would be slain. What should we be thankful for this Thanksgiving? The scapegoat. I mean, listen. 
the phrase scapegoat was not come up with by some clever criminal who was trying to get out of trouble. You've probably heard that statement before. You may have made that statement before. Man, my boss made me the scapegoat. I did nothing wrong. I showed up early for work. I worked hard, all these things. But somebody had to be a scapegoat for him to keep his job, and that was me. I paid the price. Listen, that, that, that was not some trend. That was not something trending that popped up on Twitter recently. The scapegoat goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus because one goat was able to escape. But understand something about that one goat escaping before you get too excited. The Bible says they would take that one goat and they would spill his blood all over the place. He would take that blood and he would enter behind the veil, that big thick wall, that big thick curtain. He would enter behind that veil. The other goat they would take out in front of the assembly after atonement was made. And Aaron would get down there beside that goat and he would lay his hands on the head of that goat. And when he would lay his hands on the head of that goat, he'd begin to confess the sins of the people. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive Susie of idolatry, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, drunkenness, lying. And begin to confess, confess, confess over that one goat. One goat paid the price. One goat escaped. But he didn't escape freely. He had all the sins placed upon his head. Are you with me? We read that. I'm not making this stuff up. This isn't something new. It says he would lay his hands on the head of that goat and he'd pray over them confess all the sins of the people and then there was another man who would wrap that pick that goat up in his arms and would carry it off into a desolate place and let it go free as a picture of running of taking the sins completely out of the camp and running away one goat paid the price one goat took them away now i know if you've been in church any amount of time you know where i'm headed with because even if you don't believe the Word of God, you may be sitting there at home watching us saying, Preacher, I don't know about this Bible stuff. Here's what I want you to know. Secular history proves, it proves that there was a man named Jesus who was born. Now, regardless of whether you believe he was God or he wasn't God, all I know is this, that when he came along, they changed the way we measure time. So there was something big about his birth. We know that it changed the way we use our calendars. Amen? I mean, that drives the atheist crazy because even he has to admit the birth of Jesus came on the scene because it changed the way. Why? It shook everything up. It shook up the stars. The stars began to move and point the way to Jesus. The earth began to shake when he was on the cross. It literally shook things up. It says that all the rocks were, were broken. They were, they were rocks were shattered and crumbled. And the earth began to quake and it began to pop open. Secular history proves that the sun and the moon and the stars went out and the world turned black. Secular history can prove that one day there was this big, thick veil in a religious tabernacle. And all of a sudden, that veil didn't end that day the same way that it started. Because at the same time the earth was shaking, the sky was going black. And graves were popping open and dead men were rising up and walking around. 
the veil of that temple was being torn from the top to the bottom. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want you to understand is that at that moment in time, there was a head-on collision where there wasn't a need for two goats any longer. There was no longer the need for the blood of a bull for the high priest to make atonement for himself and take it behind the veil. There was no longer a need, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to gather up some little girl, some little boy's pet goat and say, which one will draw the short straw? No, it was for that reason that Jesus was born to die. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a head-on collision with the holiness of God and the unrighteousness of man. And at that moment in history, Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God and said, it is finished. I give up my spirit. And He died on the cross of Calvary. It was at that moment that He became the one goat that would give His life. The one goat that would shed His blood. But at the other time he became the goat in that afternoon who was placed down into the heart of the earth and in the heart of the earth he carried away our sins what sins are you talking about Jesus said I don't remember them anymore the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the devil is the accuser of the brethren and when he comes before us I'll tell you what Jesus says for the blood bought saint of God he looks the devil right in the eye he says I hear what you're saying but what sins are are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. In the book of life, they've been blotted out. I don't remember them anymore. Thank God I am free. Thank God I am free. Been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God I am free. I'll tell you why the veil was torn. Because Jesus was kicking that dude open. Because you see, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it was that moment in time when the unrighteousness of man ran into the holiness of God and a, and a sinless Lamb of God, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for me that I might become the righteous child of God. And then the Bible also teaches us that we no longer needed Aaron. Because not only was Jesus the lamb that would pay the price, not only was he the lamb that would carry our sins away and place them in the heart of the earth, not only was he the lamb, but he was the high priest who rose up under the order of Melchizedek according to the book of Hebrews and all the way back to the book of Genesis, that crimson thread rolling through the Bible. And Jesus Christ became the high priest and the high priest lamb that was slain. Oh, yeah. When you gather around your table this Thanksgiving season, when you gather around your table this Thanksgiving season and you're devouring a turkey, you better thank God for the lamb. See, religion's kind of like the chicken, Jesus is a lot like the pig. I mean, you know the conversation. One afternoon, the chicken and the pig was having a conversation. and The chicken said, boy, it sure takes a commitment to keep breakfast going. Having to lay these eggs every day. Lay these eggs every day. The pig looked at the chicken and said, son, you know nothing about commitment. It takes a sacrifice to bring home the bacon. 
to bring home the ham for breakfast. See, religion is a lot like laying eggs. Trying to decide if I ought to go there, Pastor Ken. There wasn't nothing worse than as a boy having to gather up the eggs. They're not pretty and white like that when you see them in the store when you pull them out of their laying crates. You have to take them home and clean them up because they're covering a whole lot of stuff. Religion will cover you up and a whole lot of stuff. It'll get you high, leave you low, but Jesus will set you free. Jesus will set you free. One takes commitment, the other one takes a sacrifice. It takes a commitment for you to be part of a church. It takes a sacrifice for you to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Won't you stay right there and preach a minute, preacher? You understand what I'm saying. Aaron had to go and take that linen of ephod. Go, I'm not going to read it all. Go read what he had to go through in religion to just get dressed up enough to go behind the veil. I stopped reading where it went into great detail what he had to go through after he went behind the veil. Religion will... Put a robe of religion, a place upon you, but Jesus will cover you in a garment of righteousness. Religion will keep you busy. Jesus can keep you holy. Religion may be a tool that introduces you to the Lamb, but it's not the one that brings atonement. Because you see, every year, they'd have to go back and gather up another goat. They'd have to gather up two goats and a bull. And they'd go through this whole thing again. Matter of fact, you read the end of this chapter, it says, keep this as an ordinance. Keep this as a statue. And every year, they'd gather up a couple of goats. They'd gather up a bull. And they would go through all this. Today, my friends, God's goat received affliction. God's goat received torment. God's goat received agony. God's goat received death. Man's goat received life. It received joy. It received freedom. It received a way to escape. God looked at us handcuffed to sin. He said, you know what? I'm going to make a way. I'm going to put an end to this slaughterhouse religion once and for all. No more bulls will have to die. No more lambs will have to die. No more goats will have to die. Because, because, according to the book of Colossians, it says, that Jesus took the handwritings of requirements that were contrary against us, took them away and nailed them to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers darkness see Aaron would take his hands and he would lay them on that goat's head and he would confess the list of sins upon that goat and Jesus's day before computers as you know 
they had no way of filing the crimes. So they would take a handwriting of requirements, what they called it, and they would nail it to the prison door above it or the dungeon. They'd attach it there. So Jesus said, I've walked down to your prison cell. I've removed the nail and took your handwriting of requirement and I've placed it on my cross. And I'm going to give you life. The question is, will you come out? Will you come out?